Hello, hello, listeners to the Third Way podcast. I've loved doing these this new format with a little bit longer uh, time to talk and then a topic centered around three questions. And it's been fun to customize or, or craft these questions in accordance to the guest I have on. And today I'm joined by a dear friend, Ben Gibson. Uh, ben is the co-founder of the Uninc, which I will link to in the uh, show notes. Uninc is a incubator for creatives. Um, it's probably the short version of that. And Ben and I met um, uh, about six years ago, seven years ago, maybe, and have I've mentored him and his business partner, Liz, and he and I have become good friends. And, you know, the whole point of this podcast is to, and this, this, this community is to talk about the third way. And some people discover the third way. Some people think about the third way, but Ben embodies the third way. And so thanks for being on with me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Justin. So, you know, you are a, you're a man of some interesting, like, contrasts. Um, you're, you, you, you're sort of the example to me is like, single dimensional people are just not that interesting. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you're multidimensional, you're multifractals, you have very di many different sides to you and components to you. And um, so the topic today is just about that, about being, for lack of a better term, different or I love the way Jacob Nordby, who you know, um, in the because I gave you his book years ago, is the blessed or the weird. Mm -hmm. um, if that sense of finding, like I said, embodying the principles of the third way, because you were walking this crease between uh, oftentimes in various components of your life, radically different worlds. Um, so I would start with that. Like, Tell us a little bit about what those fractals are, and then we'll get into the three questions, but let's tell you a little bit about your story. Okay. Um, well, in that context, um, I think the first thing that comes up is uh, being born half white and half Mexican. So I think that's a very literal example of trying to figure right. out which box I would fit into uh, right. growing up. You know, so I, I, it took me years kind of struggling with that trying to find which one I would identify more or less of and how, how I still navigate that with people because people tend to want to you know, put me in the box that they may fall into. So yeah, right. that's one example. Um, I guess another one is being bisexual too. Um, feeling yeah, that was, it took me a long time to come out because I was really confused by having sexual attraction towards both and not really sure which one I would fit into. So that's another example of trying to come to terms with maybe it's okay to live in the middle. Or yeah. <laughs> right. mm -hmm. and then, um, I don't know. Am I missing any? I, mean, well, I think one that comes up too, I and mean, those were two that I thought of, but also being um, a creative, this dreamer, um, super interesting creative person and a former Marine. Oh yeah. 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 That's to me. I, I mean, I love the Marines and I have many friends that are Marines, but uh, they're, they're, they don't have that kind of contrast. Yeah. More being a creative, being artistic and, and, right. and having the military background. And I also come from a West Texas town where oil field, it's all about working in the oil fields, making your money and buying a house. And this is how you do life. Right. Very structured way of, you know, how, how to, how to, grow up yeah so i definitely didn't fit in as an artist and creative there as yeah. well yeah I, yeah it's uh 
I don't know. I think it, it did me good to, to learn those structures and to learn those things that I got from the military mm-hmm. in my creative life. So I think it, um, not, I think, but I didn't have any of that practice as a creative leaving, um, the military. So it's taken me time <laughs> to, yeah, right. to kind of lean into that. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, all of those, all of those examples, it takes time to kind of lean into, you know, um, it seems like, you know, the, People that find out early in life who they are um, either are can be really successful. I mean, where they know who they are, what they like. Caden, my younger son, who's knew he was when he was around fourteen or fifteen, he wanted to be an artist. But I think there's some merit in not not you know coming to terms and not finding who you truly are until later in life. I think of my former partner um, Lena and her discovering not just her own sexuality as a gay woman, but also as being accepting being a healer and being a minister and having this very different like sovereignty of her ideas well that was that came that was a long ass journey to get there so yeah yeah, so I want to think that's a good segue uh, to start the first question the first question is we're both going to answer these is what is your definition of courage and where this comes up is and you can correct me if this is not factually accurate but I believe you were the first person to organize a gay pride or LGBTQT day in a small West Texas town. You're the first person to do that. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, I did it. I yeah. did. It. Yeah. And so <laughs> that takes tremendous courage to do that. Um, and I'm curious then, what is your definition of courage? Yeah, I thought about this and it sounds it's, I have the most cliche answer ever, <laughs> but I, I really, you know how people say to follow your heart, right? Mm -hmm. That's the best way I can describe it is if you, if your heart is saying something or speaking to you or telling you to do something, the most courageous thing you can possibly do is to listen to it. Mm -hmm. And it's scary and it doesn't always feel good. And sometimes shit's got to change, you know, whenever you do that. But that to me is what courage is, is to listen to that when it's telling you to do something. Yeah. I don't think that's cliched at all. Um, I think courage as my answer is very similar, not surprisingly, that courage to me is um, doing or putting motion into what you know you need to do. Mm. And um, no, I don't, I wish I don't have a, a, a relationship, unfortunately, with my middle sibling. Um, she uh, w- she was born a he um, and um, transitioned, I don't know, a decade ago. Um, but the last time I saw her, I said to her, well, you're very brave because, you know, there's not a lot of, we, we were going to a wedding in West, in Idaho, in a small town to our, to our youngest sibling's wedding. And my middle sibling, um, is tall, six one, and also now a Muslim. So there's not a lot of six one trans Muslims you see in Western Idaho, right? Or anywhere in Idaho, frankly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, "Well, you're very brave." And she goes, "I don't feel brave." And I said, "Well, bravery is not, or like courage is not a feeling. If we all sat around waiting to be brave, we'd never do anything." Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that confidence trails courage. I think you do, then you become confident. I don't think you become confident, then start doing. Yeah. 
Well, I like how you say what you know you need to do because it's not what you understand you need to do right. or what, you know, <laughs> feels like what you need to do. Mm-hmm. What you know, it's this weird, indescribable feeling. Mm-hmm. Hard to, it's hard to describe it. Yeah, it's hard to describe it. And that's why I think it's evidentiary. Courage is evidentiary. It's not a theory. It's like love. Love manifests as itself. Mm-hmm. Courage manifests as action. Um, I think then it becomes more than the, the, you know, once you, once you realize that, you know, confidence comes eventually after courage is you just keep doing scary shit. And you, I don't, I don't, I think you, I don't know that you get used to it, but it, you do get at least accustomed to the feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, it means you're alive. Yeah. You get yeah. better at it. You get better at it. Right. Recognizing. Oh shit. Yeah, have to do. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. I kind of like that feeling, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, I think that's. I, I think it's it's really hard to grow, expand your consciousness from a place of complacency. Yeah. Anyway, so the second question I have for you is based off of this idea, knowing you quite well, and um, we have some common we have some common denominators in our lives, and one of them is is that. I think we're both very aware of our shadow side and our own ability to get in our own way, be our own worst enemy, you know, things like that. And you've been very open about what some of those shadow sides have been and, you know, publicly you've been open about them. Um, and so I'm curious though, is how and when do you create your own misery? You know, life is misery. Oh, life sucks. Like Jordan it's Peterson crazy. says, life is suffering. When it's work. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the best at it. This is a yeah, good how do you how and when do you do it? <laughs> uh, I think it's I think um, when you hold on to things in life, you make yourself miserable. And that's whether that's what you want to believe about yourself or what other people believe about you or your situation that you're in, whatever it is, holding on to it is what makes me miserable. So it's just takes, it's been taking me a lot of practice and I'm still trying to get better at catching myself whenever I start falling into that. Mm-hmm. But I'd say that's the number one thing holding on too tightly. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Um, I think mine is, and this evolves. I'm, I, I've come up with new ways to be my own worst enemy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I think lately over the last couple of years, it's been around projection. Mm. Um, I don't remember which of the Stoics said this, maybe Marcus Aurelius, maybe Epicurus, I don't know, but it was, you do not have to make this a thing. And I am really good at making that a thing. My uh-huh. brain's ability to do association is, is quite muscular, um, yeah. which is great for recall. It's great for being a poet. It's great for symbolism, but it fucking sucks for like trying to be happy because I have an intense negativity bias. So my assumption is, is if I see a facial expression, especially if we're close, like my partner, my relationship with my partner, Virginia, or my relationship with my, my, my business partner, Emily, or my sons or, or whomever that I'm really close to, you know, I'm reading off of facial expressions. I'm reading off of um, what I perceive their mood to be and all that. And I'm, it's, I, I find myself intensely narcissistic about their situation. Mm. not curious, but narcissistic, like, oh, this must be about me. And it reminds me of the line um, about um, 
my heroes have always been cowboys by Willie Nelson, where he has a line in the song and I'll link to the song in the show notes um, where he says, um, cowboys have their own special kind of misery. And, you know, cowboys is a substitute, you know, almost for a word for people that kind of live out on the fringe of society and do shit that other people don't do. Yeah. And so, so projection, projection, bias, negativity, those are all kind of in there. But what I'm finding, Ben, is I almost I'm, I'm amused at myself more and more about how wrong I am when I project like that. And I don't I know it's now I reached the stage where I, I don't know quite how to prevent the impulse, but I know not to believe it. Um, that I feel like like I got a little glimpse of the VR world of my my alphabet soup brain, you know, of ADHD and RSD and PTSD and all of that stuff creating this lens of paranoia and I laugh, sit back and laugh at it sometimes. <laughs> I, well, what's weird about this question too is, is like, sometimes I, well, for me thinking on how I have to hold on to things, if, if holding on to things makes me miserable, but then I feel like I have to hold on to things in order to create them you know, as a creative. So I have to believe in something and hold on to it to bring people and situations together to, to create. I don't know. What do you think about that? Is that? Um, well, I think the mind is designed to hold on to things because the mind has no real, the mind does not generate new information. The mind either takes input of current information which we could say data, or it uses recall. So it takes something, and this is around ontological structures and axiology, and we can get into the you know tall grass of all that. Of, but the, but the mind, as the associate from an association standpoint, in order for it to create meaning, and meaning is sometimes a framework around something, it has to hold on to something in order to do that. And I think the work of the artist is to put creative frames around meaningful things and then let go. Uh-huh. So, I mean, oh, there we go. Yeah. Stephen King um, said That's this, but he quoted somebody else, which is you have to kill your darlings or uh, Da Vinci, not Da Vinci. Uh, Van Gogh said, I'm, I've never finished a painting. I've just stopped painting. That's, that, is- that's that kind of like fluidity uh-huh. That yeah. art has a framework. The song is three minutes long. The, the, the print is 24 by 36. The, the pottery is the pottery. The poem is this many verses. All yeah. of that is a framework because without that container, mm-hmm. there's no way to, for the other people to consume it because we are dichotomous creatures. You can be all full of soul, but if you don't have your mental framework in place, you're just, you're crazy. You've lost your mind, <laughs> you know? And, and the, yeah. the other way too, where, where people are way too literal and they're like, I don't understand art. They'll say that. I don't understand art. Well, you're not supposed to understand art. You're supposed to feel it, but Mm -hmm. it still needs a framework in in order for that to happen. I don't know. Like some of my ideas break down under scrutiny, but that's my initial response. No, that's, that's probably the piece I think I could lean into and and practice more and moving forward with all the ideas and everything I create and understanding that and, learn to be more peaceful about it. Yeah. Mine, the other thought that comes to this too is related to creating new things. It could be a relationship. It could be um, a, a, new, a new offering or whatever. 
is when it doesn't, when you don't have the energy for it anymore, don't do it anymore. Mm, energy. You know, sometimes you have, you need the will to get started, to sit down and write, to sit down and create. But once you get going, if the energy leaves, let it be, maybe it'll come back. But I think most misery, especially for creatives, is trying to force the energy where it doesn't exist. Um, so, but it's a fine line. I mean, you know, between discipline and obsession. So um, last question is, again, thinking of us as cowboys. And uh, I just noticed sitting next to me here is Jacob's book, Blessed or the Weird. I didn't notice that until just now. Uh, but people like people that are, you know, that, that are, that we're, we're different, we're different than a lot of other people is what do you think others misunderstand about you? Like when they meet you or know you, or you can take people that have known you for a long time. What do you think they misunderstand about you? This question is so frustrating. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the, I'd say I thought about this and the number one thing is misunderstanding what I'm trying to do or say or mean in the world you know I feel like I've been trying to articulate myself and express myself through different businesses and projects and ventures and it never really feels like it's understood on the other end like that they say I get it I see it I understand it but I, what also came up is like but over the years, maybe I have felt misunderstood, but I think there are a lot of people who do get it. You know, they, they may not understand it, but they feel it, you mm -hmm. know, they like, so they become friends, they become, you know, collaborators, they mm -hmm. become people I work with, people I partner with. So mm -hmm. that's, I guess, the best way I could answer it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. The, it's the uh, the so misunderstood artist. Why? Is there any branding experts like you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to, to, yeah, to brand why you're misunderstood. Uh, at least that will help. Um, yeah, I think um, I get a lot of this. Uh, people misunderstand, you know, that I'm um, I'm a you know I'm a big dude. I'm six three two thirty five. I'm an alpha in a lot of ways. I'm a Scorpio. I'm a D in the disc and eight in the Enneagram. You know, I'm a, I'm a run towards the guns kind of guy. And I think I, they misunderstand how sensitive I am. Oh yeah. Um, sometimes fragile even, but I am a very, I'm a feeler and I didn't used to be that way. I used to be numb and with like little spikes of like, you know, where the, where the, where the love or the, or the joy would get through, but it was a fog bank for decades. And so I think that's one area is that I'm far more sensitive, I think, than people realize. Mm. Um, and I become comfortable with that. I, I, I'll, I, you know, I don't weep in public, but I'll cry. You know, I'll, if I get teared up about something, I'll be teared up. Like I don't I don't shame any emotion that I feel anymore. I get frustrated by certain emotions, but I don't shame them. Um, I think another thing that's misunderstood is because I'm very declarative. I think it's, I'm misunderstood as being kind of closed. Like that's the way it is. Mm. And I'm not at all. Now, if you've got a stupid opinion about something, like I'm not super interested in having a debate with you about, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, vaccinations or something. Like I just like you do you, man. <laughs> but you know, like I'm not, I'm not, 
you know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm much more open. Um, and I think that's alarming to both people like on the far right and the far left, because they kind of wish they kind of pull me in to one side or the other. And I'm like, no, I'm not either of you, you people I'm, I've got my own views about something and those, and those, but those views are quite fluid. Um, so that I think that people assume some level of rigidity with me sometimes. And partially that's because I'm a 51 year old white guy and there's a lot of middle-aged white guys that are pretty fucking rigid in their yeah. views. So. Yeah. You're definitely not like that. No, I like you. <laughs> um, this kind of a bonus question uh, that I didn't send you in advance, but it's it's an easy one. Don't worry. Uh, is what are you working on right now? What's your what's your project that you do have ener- you have energy behind and it's feeling? Oh gosh, yeah. I just got a gig with uh, Ground Floor Theater here in Austin, um, working on their um, social media, and they support underrepresented artists in the theater space. So they produce films by the deaf community, black community, women, and to get the chance to come in there and help them and strategize and be a part of the team is really exciting right now. Um, so I think that's what I've been working on nice. just the last couple of weeks a lot. Cool. That's great. Well, you are a perpetually interesting man. Um, I look forward to our next in-person meeting um, and um, I appreciate you being on with me. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Justin. It was really great. Awesome.